You're listening to Nick Luck Daily. This edition is brought to you by Fitzdares, by the Racehorse Owners Association, and by Thoroughbred Racing Commentaries Global Rankings. Hi, welcome to Nick Luck Daily. It's Wednesday the 1st of February. Tom Stanley in for Nick again. And huge news from Ireland, which Nick broke to you on the podcast yesterday. And that is where we base ourselves today. The trainer, Ronan McNally, has been hit with a 12-year disqualification from Irish Racing. He's been charged €50,000 in costs and ordered to return over €13,000 in prize money. Broadcaster and journalist Jane Mangan is with me. Uh, 12 years, Jane. Uh, those are the headlines regarding the, the ban and fines. What are some of the finer details that we know? I have the 16 A4 page report from the IHRB that was eagerly anticipated. Nick asked me last week, was this a case that uh, had gone to ground? And we absolutely knew this was rumbling like thunder waiting to burst. And it has uh, Tuesday afternoon. We got... The full report and after hearing evidence from 16 parties of the six parties involved, uh, there was four horses involved in this within the scope of this investigation and the penalties are serious in that the scope of the penalties and indeed the severity of them. Ronan McNally has been... Um, under the microscope for horses that have been running from 2019, 2020 and 2021. So the reopening of cases, the examining of whether horses ran on merit or not and whether Mr. McNally um, prevented horses from running on their merit and whether they had been sufficiently schooled or using the racetrack as a training ground, whether he was passing information to Kieran Fennessy and um, basically getting involved in profiteering and fraudulent activity in order to profit from the manipulation of a horse's handicap mark and so much more. There's a lot of layers to this. Um, We won't bore the listeners by getting involved in all of the rules involved, but basically there were 30 charges brought against those involved in this case, 22 of which were proved by the IHRB, and they have come down with this colossal uh, sanction 12 years as a disqualified person for Ronan McNally and as you mentioned 50,000 euro towards the costs I see the reaction online I've seen the reaction and comments from a lot of people on Twitter and they've been comparing this sanction with that incurred by Steve Mann now that is not a comparable case Steve Mann of course in June 2021 got a three and a half year suspension of his training license having neglected or failed to adequately care for 10 horses in his care, of which one was immediately put down and others were described as emaciated. He was also ordered to pay €5,000 in costs. This was his second, that was his second offence. So is this a case where while they're not like with like, one is a running and riding, betting patterns, passing of information and more, and the other is a welfare issue, they're nothing alike, but the sanctions are nothing alike either. I don't blame people online for asking those questions. Is this a case that the sanction is fair and appropriate? That's another question for us to maybe get a little bit more involved in. And I do understand that Mr. McNally is likely to appeal. He even expressed that likelihood 
prior to this sanction being issued and now that it has I don't see um, that changing but apparently he has reported to uh, the Richard Farcell of the Racing Post that that is his intention and of course if he does then all those sanctions have uh, the right to appeal but they have to do that before the sanctions kick in on March 1st so a lot to digest there Tom. There really is it's a very lengthy report are you happy with the amount of detail that is in the report um would you have been more satisfied were we provided with phone records amounts of money bets for example the nature of information passed on or are you happy with the amount of detail that's provided? Uh, I am I was initially critical when the original um statement came out I think it was around Hillyway Chase day we were talking about this and there was charges and the 30 charges were outlined but there was a number of details we felt that were missing I from the document that I'm reading it it seems clear to me that Mr. McNally conveyed information to uh, Kieran Fennessy. That's charge 10. But I do not deduce from this document that Mr. McNally himself was profiteering from that passing of information. Um, charge 29 that's brought against Kieran Fennessy is that he conspired with Mr. McNally and others to uh, engage in corrupt and fraudulent practices in relation to passing on inside information for betting purposes and concealing the true ability of horses uh, so as to uh, obtain handicap marks not reflective of their true ability. So those things that uh, I, I didn't, that maybe weren't confirmed before are definitely confirmed in this report. Um, as regards some of the other parties involved, um, Mark Enright and Darrow Keith, they were only cautioned uh, for basically failing to report um, information that were pertinent to the running and riding of a horse on the day to the stewards on the day. So that was another thing that I deduced from this particular report. And yeah, I, I think they've given due processes. It has obviously been ongoing for quite a long time, but right back down to the the very end of the document, they have a table, table B as it's referenced. And that uh, basically highlights the improvement of form from the handicapper so you can see drill deal uh, you can see his flat and hurdles mark that he's gone and the betting patterns whereas he went was a 40 to one shot he was a 16 to one shot he was a 16 to one shot and then on the day of the stewards inquiry he went from 20 to one into six to four favorite and the handicapper summarized that he was improved 61 pounds from his previous form another example of that was all class who ran on the flat. He was going after 150 to 1, 300 to 1, 100 to 1. And then on that day in Navan in March of 2021, he was back from 66 to 1 into 92, uh, and a possible improvement between 10 and 12 pounds. So there is good detail on this. We have even have the amended results for races of which some of these horses were disqualified from. And of course, the prize money is now to be repatriated um to other connections so i am happy with the detail in the report did i expect to see amounts of money and which accounts they were flowing from i don't think we were ever going to get that uh, jane ronan mcnally has been on this podcast before when um the investigation was um initially underway essentially saying that he feels as as though the governing body is is making an example of the the small trainer whilst not going after the bigger fish does he have a point it's a fair question um and a lot of people listening might think well there was a gamble brought off today in limerick by gavin cromwell with a horse down the bottom and 
that horse has obviously improved his form. There is an element of that, but I suppose because of the number of horses he has, uh, the 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 improvement of form in each one of them was significant. And then when they combine that with um, betting patterns and that evidence, that piece of crucial evidence, they had uh, a case to be made. And Ron McNally and the other parties involved had a case to answer of which they couldn't. And then you take into account that there was admission of guilt on behalf of some of the other parties that also brings into, I suppose, strengthened the IHRB's case. Evidence was heard from every party involved over a significant period of time. This hasn't been decided on a whim. This has been heard at multiple hearings of the IHRB. Um, and as I said, I think it's been given due process. Should they appeal, it'll drag on. Um, is it a, somebody asked, or I think you may have asked me earlier on Tuesday, this is a watershed moment. Is this a watershed moment for Irish racing? I don't think this is a widespread spread problem in Irish racing I hope it's not a widespread problem I hope I'm not being naive that this could be possibly going on more and more but I do think this is going to be a shot across the barrel shall we say or a a light up in the sky that this this won't be tolerated and the IHRB are well equipped when it comes to um, the option of reopening running and riding cases the uh, examination of betting patterns and all of their veterinary team examining these horses. So I, I think this is a case where precedent is now set and it's getting mainstream media traction over here, which is hardly a surprise. And that was going to be my ne- next question as to whether this is a, a watershed moment for Irish racing. I suppose it's the, look, we we all know the the nature of the handicapping system means that everyone is well advised every connection of a, of a horse to 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 want to have something in hand that is the nature of the beast but whether or not this changes things going forward particularly with the fact that the ihrb have been willing to to retrospectively examine races based upon the level of improvement for a horse whether or not that that opens up a can of worms and we are entitled to improve, Tom. And I don't think we should be if a horse improves from maybe hurdles to chases or improves with age. Any horse can improve, but when you're talking about horses uh, and there's a correlation, let's be honest. If you're talking about a horse improving 60, uh, 40, 47, 41, that's the the numbers that are expressed on this table that were given um by the IHRB. That's significant and when you're talking about someone who has a small number of horses and he's getting that type of a correlation then obviously you're going to have to investigate um now there was a couple of the charges that and i i I raised these questions before charge two uh pertaining to rule 148 v it is alleged that mr mcnally failed to properly school both drill deal and the jan mam for from for exiting stalls in preparation for their flat maidens the IHRB uh, issue a, a stall cert for all horses that um, run on the flat over here. And the stall cert is to ensure that they're comfortable in the stalls and that they do it in an efficient manner, basically, so that they don't delay races on race day. The stall cert, to me, should be up to that they are sufficiently schooled out of stalls, that they break in, in a timely manner as well, so that 
this type of thing is is eliminated in the future. Not only should the stalls sort of pertain to going into the stalls and being comfortable in the stalls, it should also that they jump out in a timely manner because this charge then effectively wouldn't be uh, legitimate because the IHRB would have given that horse a cert. So both those horses were stall certed, but they still fall foul of this charge where they were basically not sufficiently schooled out of the stalls and used the, the, the race course as a schooling ground. So I think this is the this is the point here. I think across social media, a lot of this case has been builders punishing the small trainer for landing some gambles. Essentially, that's not the whole picture. Um, you know, Mr. McNally has been found guilty of that, yes, but in amongst uh, a whole host of other misdemeanors, and also probably carried out said improvements in horses' form in a manner which is simply too flagrant too blatant and and pretty careless and that is what has allowed the IHRB to to build such a case against him yes now I will say um there's a number of these charges where the jargon of the English involved are very very similar to some of the other charges and I wonder is there a little bit of padding involved here because some of them relating to the running and riding fail to have horses sufficiently schooled using the the uh, basically in order to get um, favourable handicap marks, um, and then the next charge reads deliberately permitted the horse to run on other than his merits. To me, that it's the same thing, just in different English, and obviously they have a different rule, but it's it's effectively the same thing. He's also admitted that he failed to advise the stewards of concerns raised by the IHRB or the Irish Equine Centre with regarding um, the jam man. But look, there, there's a lot of depth to this. David Dunn um, has, has got his sanctions. Owen O'Brien, who's involved in um, the running and riding inquiry, got his charges were proved, charge 20, 21, 22 and 23. And he got a 21 day suspension. Um, and, and look, there's a lot of outcry online from it. But I don't think this for anyone is a matter of opinion. This has been given due process. This has been examined to within an, an inch of everything and um for all the parties involved it was a very serious case not only from a reputational point of view but from a livelihood point of view so i don't want to to make light of anybody's opinion but it's 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 ultimately not for you or me to say um but it will have come as a as a shock the 12 year and uh, it's worth mentioning as well for Kieran Fennessy, who uh, holds a handler's license here in Ireland. He's from Cork. He trains point of pointers. He's declared a disqualified person and, and his license has been suspended for a period of three years with the final two years suspended for a period of five years and also imposed a fine of €5,000 on him, which is not insignificant as well. So a lot to digest, Tom. As I said, if, if somebody feels like they haven't um, quite got the grasp of all the details. It is uh, on the referrals and and appeals part of the IHRB website. And I would implore somebody to read it before commenting too strongly on it, because as I say, it's it's too important to get it wrong. Okay, turning our attention to the whip, we covered this or it was covered um, a good bit on the pod yesterday with uh, Nick and Lydia. we are going to come at it really from an Irish point of view. You may have seen JJ Slevin being interviewed on 
Sky Sports Racing regarding the the feeling over in Ireland about, in particular, the the Cheltenham Festival and what it may mean for Irish riders coming over and and riding under these rules. Late yesterday evening, I spoke to the uh, secretary to the Irish Jockeys Association, Andrew Coonan, and and started off by asking him just what the feeling amongst the members was like in Ireland. Uh, Yeah, uh, I I have to say to you, concern is the overall view from the riders um, significant concern a lot of discussion over the last 10 days to be perfectly honest with you we were aware of what was coming in uh, we were made aware obviously that riders have to uh, go through the process of the, the online uh, tutorial and that they've done that as a result of that queries arose we've raised those queries with BHA and they've come back with, uh, with the, you know the, I think they were they were forthcoming in, 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 in saying to us, look, um, we'll, we'll give you views, we'll give you video clips of what we regard as problematic and um, and what we will be perceiving as breaches of rules and how that differs from what you have at the moment. And they were good enough to, uh, on discussion, we suggested that perhaps they uh, representatives from the VHA would come to Ireland and go through these you know, the do's and the don'ts, what we can do, what we can't do, and review some of our own races here to see what whether there would be they would perceive breaches under the new regulations. So there was a, there's the, the idea is that we're basically trying to fast track our knowledge on where we stand on this implementation because of course we don't have any betting in here and that's the difficulty. It feels the main sticking point now with the rules as they currently stand over here isn't the number change, the the backhand forehand position seems to have been ironed out and the the PGA over here and and its members are happy enough with that. It is the the whip over, over shoulder height issue and the lack of discretion now on that which seems to be causing the issues. Is that the same with with you and your members over in Ireland? That's a fundamentally important one. And I have to say to you, we are entirely unclear as to what that is going to mean or how that's going to affect. Uh, the other one is, and, and, and interestingly, this is one that the riders picked up on very quickly, and that is the use of the stick while in the backhand position down the shoulder and that's not permitted and and you'll uh, in certain segments I mean it says that, that that's not permitted at the repeated use of the stick um, down the shoulder um, uh, won't be allowed and that is a very unusual one insofar as you regularly see riders and it's a, it's a very good use of, of, of uh, the stick to keep a horse concentrating down to a, a hurdler offence, to tap him down the shoulder and then afterwards. And we've tried to iron out what exactly they mean by that. Is that permitted? Is that not permitted? And then where do we stand in terms of the over-the-shoulder? Uh, we've won very glaring um, example where one of the riders raised it with me he rode in I'm going to say air and uh, and, and used the stick and, and didn't use it excess numbers wise uh, but was uh, deemed to have used it over the shoulder and got himself a two day ban I'm going to say and they wrote him letting him know this and said to him and by the way we've reviewed this under the new guidelines this would be a 14 day penalty 
which is which is uh, which he quite obviously was staggered at, and um, and, and, so, and 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 that just shows how far out we are in terms of our understanding of what these new guidelines are and how they're going to affect riders from Ireland mm. when they go to the UK. Yeah, and of course, as you say, this is air. This is you know, it's not just about the Cheltenham Festival and, and the Grand National meeting either. Um, the implication here is that anyone suffers a lengthy ban from Cheltenham, that rules them out of some big meetings back in Ireland, and then on into the into the Grand National meeting itself. Do you do you think that the main the main protagonists who are going to be coming over to the Cheltenham Festival, because this isn't a numbers thing, this is an action thing need to be changing the way they ride day in, day out in Ireland to account for what they're going to encounter in the UK? Oh, absolutely. I mean, if you, if you were to say that under the... If, if, if there's no modification to the guidelines as they now stand in terms of the over-the-shoulder in particular, say, for example, numbers, as you say, numbers are numbers. You either count them up or you don't. And I'm not saying that that's an easy thing because in the heat of battle, that isn't always necessarily uh, a straightforward thing to say. And, and I think it's a trite argument to say it's a number and forget about it. You know, you either know it or you don't. That's not quite as simple as it sounds. But but that is, they are the facts of it. Whereas the over-shoulder is very much a perception. We sit down, we analyse it, we take our time over it. You know, this is a rider using that in the space of a, of split seconds. So... It's 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 almost a subjective uh, rule in terms of that, and Irish riders have not had this betting in process and are not going to get a betting in process. The first time they're really going to be exposed to it is Cheltenham, and I can see a major issue for them. And trying to say to a rider, you now have to adopt your style such that you understand and know what it is by the time you get there. Yes, that's what they will have to do. But that is a very difficult thing to do in that time frame. And changing a rider's technique that he has developed over 2, 3, 4, 10, 12 years um, is very hard to do in that space of time with no, uh, you know, effectively no lead-in for them. Mm. Um, okay, just on the, we're obviously covering the Ronan McNally case at length on the podcast, Jane and I, Andrew. Um, on the the jockeys that have received cautions, were you directly involved in their cases? Yes, I, I, I represented two of the writers, um, and and actually, all they were charged with was failing to report something which might have affected the horses running, and. And those two riders, what had happened was that both of those riders rode uh, the real deal and the horse was very slow exiting the stalls in uh, Gorn and the Curra, two separate days. So, uh, so the riders know their obligations and it was so patently obvious what had happened. I mean, the horse walked out the gate 10, 15 lengths behind the others and they didn't report it and both of them accepted look that should have been reported and and the panel thankfully accepted that that was the situation accepted that it was an unusual set of circumstances for the riders that they normally would be uh, absolutely uh, cognizant of their obligations and, and of both of them are very good records no previous record at all in terms of that and they accepted that and caution them about that into the future so that was their only involvement in it and I'm very, very glad to say that they're out and dealt with but uh, yeah uh, otherwise it's, it's been a, uh, 
it's been a, a, a very, very um, interesting, I suppose, maybe time is the word, um, uh, result. Mm-hmm. Hasn't it just? Andrew, I really appreciate your time. Thanks ever so much. Not at all. Okay, good to talk to you. Uh, okay, Jane, uh, the the wit then and, and what it means for Irish riders coming over to Cheltenham in, in particular, that's the big showcase meeting, um, the first one they're going to be competing at under the new rules. What do you think? Well, they're going to get some experts over to Ireland to talk them through and show them what's required. Look, your 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 hand is either over it, over your shoulder, or it's not. And um, I don't think Paul Town and their Rachel Blackmore need somebody with a measuring stick to tell them how high their hand should or shouldn't be. Um, listening uh, to everybody and their opinions, listening to the jockeys' concerns, and and watching it all unfold over the last week or so. It looks as though the PJA, in collaboration with the BHA, have managed to create a problem that they thought was going to be a problem before it actually ever became a problem. And it's possible that they have brought the sport into disrepute without ever intending to. I can absolutely see um, why there was a move to to change the rules and talk about due process. As Nick has pointed out, and he was a member of the steering group, it was a lengthy process, um, but we... We find ourselves in a in a ultimately rather embarrassing position at, at this point with the the PGA and the BHA still really now at loggerheads. Interesting to hear Harry Cobb on the podcast yesterday saying he, he still hopes there's going to be amendment to the rules. It doesn't it doesn't seem like there is there is going to be, uh, or really they should be at this point. BHA, sorry, the, the 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 steering group came up with their recommendations. The PGA didn't like that. The PGA lobbied for what is now enforced are going to be enforced i'd imagine their intention was that the strict consistent sanctions were with the number of strikes in mind not actually considering that the same consistency would be employed for the rule of shoulder height and i'd imagine they did not think of that i i this is just my opinion i think they may have underestimated that at the time and ultimately made a mess well, I think that whenever you find yourself at, um, at this sort of an impasse, both sides have to take some uh, amount of responsibility, of, of, of accountability. Um, obviously, the most vocal side is always going to be the jockey side. They are the ones that have micro- microphones thrust in front of them after all. But um, it's it's led to a pretty unsavoury situation for British National Hunt Racing ahead of one of the, arguably the biggest festival. What I would urge people to do is to go and listen back to yesterday's podcast with Nick and Lydia, really um, laying out the facts and assessing how and why we've got here. Well, we're focusing from an Irish perspective, uh, as as you all know, uh, in this instance. Um, Brendan Powell, assistant Joseph O'Brien, joins me. We'll talk about the runners this weekend. But but first of all, from um, from the riders you you see and work with, Brendan coming over to the to the Cheltenham Festival and the heat of battle there, experiencing these new rules for the first time. Is is there a lot of concern? I think there is. Um, I think a lot of the lads are concerned about it at the moment. And yeah, I just listened to JJ having been interviewed at air yesterday after he rode there to say that um, you know the Irish guys haven't had any confirmation of these new rules from um, from the BHA or from any representatives. So um, I think these got to be looked at as soon as possible. Um, you know, they look the styles of riding between the English and the Irish lads are only slightly different. But um, you know, the 
there's guys in England who've got this bedding in period, which is taking a lot of work. Um, and I just hope that the Irish lads can do it in, in such a short space of time. Yeah, just as far as actions go, you know, as a as a professional sports person, um, some people will say, well, look, you should be able to adapt. New rules are, are new rules. Live with it. How, how do you feel about that? Look, if you've been riding for a long time, like a lot of these lads, the likes of Brian Hughes, I mean, you know, you can watch him in a race and he does everything to perfection. Um, and the amount of times, you know, that he's been called in and the bands that he would get with the new rules... You watch Harry Cobden Saturday, Sam Tristan Davis, people like that. You know, it doesn't look it doesn't look out of place, or it doesn't look like they're doing anything wrong. But you know, under these new rules, it's the point of the whip even goes above your your head height. You're done, um, and that's going to be the very difficult part about it. That's the, you know, I, I just I just find it very strange. Yeah. Alrighty, this weekend, um, Fakir Dudari, first of all, ask it, how are you feeling about that? Um, yeah, he's in good form and uh, he, look, he, he, he's won last time out. People said he was a bit unlucky. I think it would have been a very good race. He was three lengths down going to the last but jumped it very quick and gained a couple of lengths. I think it would have been close. The winner looked to me like it was a tired fall more than anything, but he's improved for that run again. And um, yeah, hopefully he can do what he did last year. We could do it a bit of rain from um, Alaska, but hopefully they'll get some before that. And you're working back from Aintree, I guess? Yeah, and um, yeah, look, well, I'm not saying he wouldn't go to Cheltenham, but maybe if Aloha didn't run and if that race did cut up, he may go there. But I think the main aim, he seems to get better as the season goes along. So hopefully Aintree will be the, the main target for him and then possibly like punch us down. Yeah. Is Bambridge going to go to the Arkle this weekend? And do you see him as a, as a two-miler for the festival or not necessarily? season I would have said no but um, the way he did it at Cheltenham um, when he won there he travelled brilliantly he's a big horse with a high cruising speed and his athlete is his jumping, he's very quick he's got plenty of skull um, you know he'll stay two and a half miles no problem and that is I'm afraid where um, Brendan left me or I left Brendan as um, my laptop took wings and um, flew off somewhere pretty much exploding um, but it's it's back so that's good news um, uh, essentially Brendan um, did go on to say I, I, I call him back just for an update he uh, the horse Bambridge will head to the festival off the back of this whether it's two or two and a half remains to be seen what he does on at the weekend the same goes for high definition he will line up against Fasal Vega in the two mile novice contest again whether he goes up in dribble stays at two depends on what he does but he's in good form they're very much looking forward to running him well the british racing school have announced a new training course covering all aspects of environmental sustainability and um, that's in british horse racing w- will be launched in 2023 the environmental sustainability consultants white griffin who specialise in horse racing and equestrianism, will manage the project. Their director is Ruth Dancer, who joins me now. Ruth, welcome along. Thanks for for joining me. Just tell me how this has come about. Yeah, thanks for having me. So, um, as you say, we we conducted a report in uh, 2022 that was... um, from the BHA into environmental sustainability in horse racing. And off the back of that, there's been all sorts going on. But one of the key themes that kept cropping up is just so much confusion around 
what is environmental sustainability and why does it matter for horse racing? So um, the British Racing School have really stepped up and, and really taken this mantle on and wanted to, to, to lead the way um, in, in so many respects, but particularly in terms of being educators. And thanks to um, some generous funding from the Racing Foundation, who are also um, leading the way in environmental um, work, we have put this online and in-person course in place. And um, we're building it over the next six months. It'll be available from the summer. But it's really an opportunity for leaders and um, people working in the industry to actually wrap their heads around what is this all about? How does it impact horse racing? And what can I do on a practical level? Could just just give us an idea of how it how it does impact horse racing and 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 what can be expected in 2023. So probably one of the biggest things that the people on the ground in the industry are noticing are quite literally the ground conditions and the cancellations due to extreme temperatures. So that's a very direct, immediate thing that's um, been happening over the last few years, but really, really we noticed it in 2022, and. Um, that's, that's really only going to continue. And when you talk to the Met Office, we're 10 times more likely to have summers of 40 degrees or more going forward. So that's a really, really big issue in terms of ground conditions, horse transportation, horse welfare, um, and, and really just in terms of actually race days, you know, provision of water, etc., for, for race goers. Um, so those are very immediate things. But in the future, we really need to wrap our heads around water shortages. The CEO of... Um, Waterboard has, has made it really, really clear that the leisure industry has got to get a grip on our use of water, and horse racing has been declared part of that. So, we need to um, build resilience into our operations in terms of how we use water. And probably the biggest and maybe the most positive thing, actually, because it's always negative negative, negative, negative when we talk about the environment, but a really positive area is biodiversity. And biodiversity has now been put on the same footing as, as, as climate change and all those associated topics. And actually, because horse racing is really is a sport of the land, we've got an opportunity to, to really lead the way, not just as a sport, but as a, as a business industry in general in the UK. We're so far behind in our targets. And, and actually, the government announced this week um, what they're intending to do to, to help support people in that, which is really great news. Um, and I see this as an area where the landowners, um, of which there are a great many in horse racing, and not just the race courses, but trainers, stud farms, etc., can really embrace this mantle and make space for nature, um, and potentially it, it can support revenue as well. Ruth, really interesting stuff. Thanks ever so much for your time. You're very welcome. Thanks for having me. Dublin Racing Festival. The entries are in. Um, I just flick through as to try to find a jockey who I might interview. Um, and I, one thing I've really noticed, in particular, the first grade one I looked at, the juvenile hurdle, there's a lot of Mullins horses. We touched on this actually on Luck on Sunday at the, at the weekend regarding Thyestes Chase, um, although there were more Elliot horses, but it was won by a Mullins horse and and 12 of the 18 were from the top two yards. What, do, do you feel a little bit a little bit concerned by this? It's not a surprise and it's not something that's happened. This has been an evolution over a long period of time. 66 horses remain in the eight grade ones at the Dublin Racing Festival. 33 of those 66 will be trained or are trained at Clis Sutton. 
Um, the Dublin Racing Festival, since its inception in 2018, has had 50 non-handicap races. Sorry, 50 non-handicap races run. 45 of those 50 non-handicap races have been won by four trainers. And uh, that's not a surprise because when we go to Cheltenham, more than half, more than three quarters of our runners are made up of, of two or three trainers. And this is the best weekends jumps racing in Britain or Ireland. It's the best concentration of quality. It would be much better if we had more British competitors at the Dublin Racing Festival. But hopefully if we've all been caught or so real or successful, that might whet the appetite for further um, ventures across the water. But I don't think I'm going to let that dampen my my enthusiasm for the weekend ahead because if you look at the Goss Irish article on Saturday you've got appreciated Dysart Dynamo possibly El Fabiolo Flame Bear and San Roi all from Clisutton and maybe four of those five runners will line up and isn't that in itself a very good race before you throw in the likelihood of Banbridge Fieldor Visionarian as well so um that all of these horses, they have white Willie Mullins has a, a wide variety of ownership and he will run horses as they I suppose to to their own merit. And he's not afraid to run them against each other. We could possibly see Blood Destiny take on Lossy Mouth in, in the juvenile hurdle. We'll see Stateman versus Vauban take on Honeysuckle in the Chanel Farm Irish champion hurdle. We could see James's de Burley and Guyard de Menil both run in the two five novices chase and you know it's not his fault he's the best in the business okay it's wednesday it is time for a hong kong update here's jim mcgrath nick hong kong racing is still buzzing following sunday's cracking stewards cup at sha tin golden 60 well he was brilliant the old dazzling turn of foot is still there how dare they doubt the champion those writing him off and there were a few who did were made to look very foolish so what now for the horse who has got the stunning record of 23 wins from 27 starts? I'm hearing that foreign travel is off the table for the immediate future. It's very unlikely he'll run on the Dubai turf at Maidan next month. And Japan's Yasuda Kinnan is also a no-go, it appears. Ascot would love to get Golden 60 for the Queen Anne, but reliable sources reckon that would take uh, around about uh, £3 million in prize money, and that's never going to be a reality. Not that the Golden 60 team are money-driven. I sense that uh, Francis Lloyd, the trainer who's done such a brilliant job with the horse, just wants to look after the best horse he's ever trained and is ever likely to train. He sees there are plenty more great days awaiting the champ locally if he just keeps a steady hand on the tiller. It was a great day's racing at Chartin on Sunday. Not for the first time, Ryan Moore absolutely excelled. He rode a double for John Size, who went to the top of the Trainers' Championship. Jamie Carr flew in from Melbourne to ride a double, which included Voyage Bubble in the Classic Mile, first leg of the four-year-old series. And James MacDonald, the Longines World's Best Jockey, also won a race on a real long shot, 29 to 1. Not many J-Mac winners start at that price. Zach Purton missed out. He had seconds and thirds throughout the day, but he's the jockey to follow at uh, Happy Valley today. He's got some cracking rides, and I fancy in race six, number six, 
Haven Nagila, who was a very eye-catching run last time behind Voyage Bubble, who of course went on to that win on Sunday, and Haven Nagila, uh, an ex-Irish uh, uh, horse uh, who is just starting to come to hand, I think he can win. Number four, Rocket Spade, New Zealand Derby winner of yesteryear. Well, he's the danger. So six, Haven Nagila to beat number four, Rocket Spade in race six and take those in a tote swinger. Also later on, Zach Rise Adios in race eight. Race eight, number one, Adios. This is the first time he's ridden this horse, but he's well drawn in stall number four. Uh, also, it's interesting that uh, the uh, that uh, uh, w- the trainer has called for the cheek pieces and also the tongue tie on uh, Adios, and I think that'll help as well. So race eight, number one, Adios to beat four, Majestic Knight. That's all on the Hong Kong beat this week. I'll have more for you next week. Just a tip from you, Jane. That's all I need. So my tip of the day is coming at Exeter in the 320, the maiden hurdle. I know the King of Ripe is going to be very warm order for the Skeletons, but I like Copper Cove. Um, won a bumper at Exeter last year over course and distance, and let's see if he can do the same over hurdles for the Unials. Uh, thank you. Thank you for listening at home. Fear not, Nick will be back tomorrow. That was Monday the 1st of February. Bye-bye. You've been listening to Nick Luck Daily, brought to you in association with Fitzdares, the Racehorse Owners Association and Thoroughbred Racing Commentary. Mm-hmm.